Welcome back. You are watching Stockwatch with me, Nolutandom Tonti Mlambo. I am standing in for Zinati Goma. Now tackling your stock-related questions this evening are Devon Shute from the Robay Group and Nilash Hansji from Old Mutual Investments. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392. Email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. All right, we do kick off um, today's show. Let us first, um, Devon and Nilash, just reflect on today's market performance before we go anywhere. Um, I guess everyone's sitting at the edge of their seats waiting to hear something, anything um, from the U.S. Fed. Um, Devon, we'll start with you. Yeah, definitely, Nolotanda. I think the central banks are caught in this tug of war between rising inflation and growth that's faltering, and markets are taking their cue from that. And, and clearly, we've got a you know a big news announcement tomorrow where where the Fed is going to prob probably with pretty certainty raise by 75 basis points. But I think the commentary around that and how hawkish or not potentially the Fed is is really where the market's going to take their their cue from. You know, that's going to line up the future hike for the remainder of the year. Is that going to be 50 basis points? Is it going to be another 75? And and I think markets are very closely watching the rhetoric around that and seeing if the the worries around growth are going to start causing the the fed to maybe reassess the trajectory of these interest rate hikes and possibly a pivot Yanni Lash, actually, it's only, uh, I was actually reading an article today, and uh, what, the, what the author said is that if you increase rates enough, you'll break something else. Um, and it looks like growth is what could potentially break. Um, let's just talk about what you think um, the U.S. Fed will do, and if there'll be a U-turn, if so, when? Yeah, good evening, Altanda, and, and your, list, your viewers as well. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, the trajectory we've seen is in an inflation shock, to an interest rate shock and potentially a growth shock. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the narrative that, that's there and being reflected in multiples uh, you know, across the world and globe today, in addition to all the other volatility. Um, I agree with Devon in terms of what he's saying is, you know, we're widely expecting a 75 bips move tomorrow. Uh, but as you said, the, the commentary and trajectory is still a, a tug of war and probably going to be very closely watched. I mean, the expectation is 70 bips and probably a slowing uh trajectory from here but you know with the inflation and all the volatility and what we're seeing it's it's still up in the air all right so another place where we're seeing um some market moves is Grinrod with Grinrod shipping and i have a question here with regards to that it says um my Grinrod shipping is up 40 percent in recent month is it time to get out or should i keep on all right devon what do you think yeah, look, I mean, it's it's been a tidy little investment, hasn't it? Mm. Um, I, I'm pretty pretty positive on on the long term prospects for for shipping. I mean, we've seen those those rates stabilize quite a bit. I think also, although you may see this kind of macro globalization trend slow a bit, you know, some are calling it globalization. <laughs> I think you're still going to see these global supply chains come come to to greater levels than they they are now. Um, I, I think it's it's definitely a niche player. Mm -hmm. I think their, their 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 fleet is pretty good. So you know, my my advice, if if you've got a long term view on it, is probably to hold on. Mm -hmm. It has done well, but I, I think it's one of those ones that you can ride out the storm, so to speak. Yeah. And Yelash, what do you think? I know that, like um, Devon says, they've got a strong set of assets, um, strategically placed for that African free continental trade area, if that ever takes off. Um, do you think he should hold? 
Yeah, I think I think you know you have to manage to the volatility. I think you know the deal with Imperial and DP World, DP World coming in and buying Imperial for the logistics capability. You know, almost affirms that view that you know as a play into Africa. Um, you know, Grindelwald is a strategic asset within that within that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just have to get through the near-term kind of volatility after the unbundling from from Rainbow. So I think over the long-term view, yeah, we'll probably just ride it out. Yeah, now talking about volatility, I also have a question about Cecil. Now, before we get to this question about Cecil, um, I, I have such good feelings about Cecil because I remember, I think two years ago, we were asking if it was the end of the deals that Lake Charles deal had gone um, a little bit wobbly. And it looks like they've just managed to stabilize again. So let's talk about the asset base and really the operations at Cecil and how that's really managed to, to bring the business back. Um, Nilesh, I think we can start with you. Sure. So I think... You know, if you go back probably, you know, 12 to 18 months and through COVID, you know, the operational efficiency, or at least the operations have, have come across, come a long, long way. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just the operations as well. You know, they had lots of issues with debt, uh, US denominated debt, Lake Charles. I mean, you name it, Sasol's been through all of it. Mm -hmm. uh, management changes, you know, all, everything. And, you know, coupled with the, with the oil price shock. Uh, but, you know, where we are today, we've seen a strong recovery. Cash flow has improved. Uh, debt has reduced. Uh, oil price uh, at least the rand oil price continues to remain high despite mm -hmm. you know the short term short term kind of um, volatility around recession and supply chain um, and i guess if you couple that um, you know with kind of the near term i guess the uncertainty around the, the the recent trading update which kind of caused a bit of nervousness just around operations you know around europe again the us and but in sa as well um, you know, you can't have to balance both the macro and the micro with, with Sasol and, and kind of just uh, manage it through. I think the near-term volatility, you know, is largely around this convertible debt issue, which, you know, while you can understand what management are trying to do in terms of raise liquidity, you know, just on the uncertainty in the environment, um, it's, it's probably just taking a step of caution rather than, you know, kind of the dilution that people are worrying about from, from a debt instrument. Yeah, and Devin, what are your sentiments around Sasol? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think Nilesh is right in that they they did a fantastic job repairing the balance sheets in COVID. It, it was really, we were staring down the barrel of a massive dilutive rights issue there, which they, they managed to avoid. So mm -hmm. the company has done incredibly well. They had some hedges on the oil price, which which have kind of kept, kept earnings somewhat. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, I think this convertible bond, you know, we, we need to see details of it and, and see if this this funding, which which looks preemptive rather than reactive, like the rights issue was going to be, is cheaper than the existing debt. If it is, it may, it may actually be to shareholders' benefit to to have a bit more in the war chest. Um, yes, there there is dilution that that'll come along, but yeah, if, if they get the the rate of funding right, it may actually long term turn out to be positive for the group. Yeah. So the question that then comes from the Cecil one is, um, is the huge price drop in Cecil today justified? And is it worth buying at the current price? Devin, what do you think? Look, I mean, it was a pretty brutal sell off. I think, you know, when these things come a bit by surprise, market doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. It feels like it may have been a bit overdone. Um, I don't mind the, the, the levels of Sassel at the moment. My, my sense is that global oil prices are going to remain elevated for a while. Mm -hmm. Sassel will be a beneficiary from that. You know, the, the, the chemicals and plastics businesses have, have great margins in them. So I, I think, you know, if, you, if you're bullish on all of those and underlying commodities, I, I, th I think it's probably a better entry than, than we've seen in a while. So, yeah, I'm happy with it. And Ilesh, what do you think? What do you think he should do? 
Uh, similar view to, to Durban, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, if you just look at the, the convertible bond, I mean, it's potentially a 5 to 6% dilution, but it only converts if the share price does, you know, over 30 to 35% from mm -hmm. today's price. So it's, you know, the share price performance, you know, kind of offsets what you can get in the dilution in time through 2024, I think. Yeah. All right, without leaving the resources sector, let's talk about Tungela. That's the next question. Um, now, this price dropped by 7.3% today. Other coal companies' share price increased today. Is it a buy? And also, why that inverse relationship? Um, why would Tungela fall by, and I think 7% is quite a margin, um, and then see coal prices increasing, other coal stocks, that is, and then is it a buy? Uh, Nilesh? I think this is one, again, you have to manage through the volatility. Um, mm. And I think, you know, Tungela's being more an SA-specific play, you kind of link to, you know, the transnet uh, kind of issues. And any nervousness around that, you know, continues to be, um, you know, a caution on them able to be delivering on volumes. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's just one. You have to manage the volatility. I mean, you're still generating a lot of cash. <laughs> the dividend yield yeah. is still going to be, be, be something to... <laughs> To be amazed about. Mm -hmm. Devin, what do you think? Yeah, look, uh, I'm not too sure why it was down when the other coal producers were up today. But you, you know, you got to look. This is a really a single commodity producer. The underlying price of coal has gone from probably in 12 months $40 to $400 back to about $200. So, you know, Nilash is right. It's been a wild ride. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if you'd got in early with with the spin-off you you know you're still you're still smiling there i think generally because of that volatility with commodities we prefer to go for the more diversified plays um glencore has been a great place to be if you wanted coal exposure i mean it's trading at all-time highs now mm -hmm. and there's been some elon musk interest yeah. <laughs> earlier in the year so we, we we just think a basket of commodities and producers that are, you know kind of spread that volatility a bit does help because otherwise you know, whether it's platinum or, or coal or whatever the case is, you're, you're in for one of these rides and very difficult to kind of pick on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's talk about Tungela. Um, and you, like you're saying that it's, it's one commodity, but it's one that's in demand right now. Guys, eventually the Tungela story is going to change because the world is moving away from coal. I mean, we've got that Euro European energy crisis. And of course, right now it is, a, it is an okay place to be. But at some point it's going to change. And um, let's just talk about um, the prospects of Tungela and even the possibility of diversifying. Should the coal story really change throughout the world? Um, what could, where could they go? What could they be? I, I can't even imagine um, a Tungela that isn't a coal Tungela. Um, Nilesh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, long term, you mm -hmm. know, these prices are high. Um, there's many factors to consider here, especially what's happening in, in, in Europe and the energy and, you know, the sanctions that are still continuing in Russia and how that all plays out. I mean, I agree. I mean, where, where we're seeing a lot of the other companies move towards, you know, is battery electric vehicles or green energy to renewables, you know, to, to all the, the, the green transition, you know, energy or renewable energy plays. I mean, that'll be a starting point and at least, you know, with the, with a company like Tungela, where they generate lots of cash, you know, they have the benefit of being able to reinvest into the future or, you know, the, the next leg of the energy transition. Yes. And Devin, do you agree? Cash flash and therefore um, open to, to, to different places to be? I think so. You know, I, I would be surprised if that board wasn't looking for alternative opportunities. You know, if you had to think what Sabanya did all those years ago, diversifying out of gold, into platinum, which was a stroke of genius, and 
you know, they're a dominant platinum player now and, you know, they've, they've reaped the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think they have to think very carefully about these finite assets. And as, as you say, the, the use case for them at some stage ends. I think the world is dependent on coal for maybe longer than we would like. Mm-hmm. But no, no doubt they need to look to reallocate capital away from that. And, and I think in time you'll probably see that from a Tungela as well. Yeah, I'm actually glad you've spoken about Sibanya because today we had that announcement about the gold operations. And it's actually very clear um, that Sibanya is moving away from being, I mean, it was called Sibanya Gold at some point because it was a, a purely gold business. And now it really has um, diversified. It's looking like the PGMs is where their strength is. But very concerned about this move away from gold and also what it might mean for, nav- for jobs. Um, and can you guys just probably speculative at this point, but really what that job issue might do um, for Sibanya, also as a brand and goodwill towards the company, which I think is quite important. Um, Nilash, we can go with you. Sure, I mean, I mean that's, that's the, the, the challenge, right? Mm. Um, just, you know, when you read the announcement, I mean, they talk about the mines, um, you know, where, where they're having the section one of those nines is, you know, these, these mines are coming close to the end of the useful life, mm. you know, which talks to kind of your earlier question about the ability of these companies to diversify um, and find not just new mines, but younger mines, you know, where they're able to have more life of mine or expected life, if you call it that. Mm. Um, so I think that's the balance. It's kind of one of these tough challenges where, you know, we also have to, to be conscious of that life's uh, mines just, you know, don't last forever. Mm. Um, they do come to a point where you either have life and it's up to them, the companies to allocate and diversify Accordingly, which Devon again mentioned earlier, is you know Sabanya has actually done a great job at that. Yeah, and Devon, we don't have much time. I think we've got about thirty seconds. But if anybody can really turn the Sabanya ship around, it is Neil Froneman. Yes. Yeah, you would think so. Great, yeah. great track record, and, and hopefully they repurpose jobs within the group. Let's stay with mining now. I think one of you might have touched on this earlier. I have a question here that says, I've read that the demand for lithium is increasingly dras- is increasing drastically, hence the current price. Is that the reason behind Musk looking at Glencore shares? Are there other alternatives on the JC if one is not a fan of this group? Um, so Devin, let's start with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- th- this is quite interesting, right? Uh, Elon Musk put out a tweet to say, you know, with those lithium prices moving, I think it was from $4,000 a decade ago to $80,000 almost now, you know, should they start manufacturing and, you know, or mining and, and kind of fabricating lithium now because it's such a big component in their EVs? Um, you know, Glencore is a massive supplier of lithium to Tesla. And, and so I think the, the head of Glencore and Elon got chatting for a while and kind of that was the genesis of of the story, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a big big problem in the green energy space, and that although the um, you know potentially the energy coming out of it in renewables or you know EVs is is great from a fuel perspective, mm-hmm. the components and and the resources needed to manufacture these vehicles is, is significant, whether it's copper or lithium or that type of thing. So you you know Glencore is particularly well positioned. Um, you know, it's a 1.4 trillion rand market cap company, mm. uh, got a lot of purchasing power, got some really quality assets. So, you know, to, to the viewer's question, it, it is difficult to buy a share at all-time highs. But I, I, I think in terms of lithium exposure, mm-hmm. as well as the diversification of, of some other um, resources that it owns, I, I think it's if you're looking in that space, you could do a lot worse than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you are paying top dollar not only for the underlying commodities, but, but the companies that produce them at the moment. Yeah, Nilash, what do you think? 
Yeah, yeah, similar. I mean, similar. it's okay. just a question of timing and valuation for Glencore right mm-hmm. now. Um, and I think, you know, also note that Glencore, yes, despite supplying lithium, they also supply copper as well, which mm-hmm. is, you know, quite a big uh, metal that people use, you know, for, for again, clean en- energy and, you know, all the positive um, components for the future. I guess what for me, what's funny is Glencore makes most of its money out of coal mm-hmm. <laughs> today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but again, it's one that can reinvest into the future in terms of new, new metals. Now, one of the interesting aspects um, of uh, the viewer's question is, are there other alternatives on the JC if one is not a fan of this group? So this now speaks about the reputational damage that we've seen in terms of Glencore, fines in the US, fines in the UK, also um, some stories here back at home. But let's talk about them maybe, maybe being invincible because that hasn't seemed to have dented um, the reputation at all but if somebody wants to do something else similar to Glencore but not quite Glencore where can they shop? Um, David we'll start with you. Um, I'm not sure off the yeah. top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I have to, I would have to look into it. This, mm-hmm. this is our pick in the space. Yeah. Yeah, because also I think it's, it's such a unique business, right? It's, it's really set itself up um, that well that you, there aren't many other businesses that can mirror um, their value proposition right now. Mm. Yeah, Nilesh, yeah. what do you think? I think uh, Sibanya is one mm-hmm. um, as well. Mm-hmm. Not just, I think, recently they've invested, um, you know, in some JVs. I think it's in the, in the Nordic regions mm-hmm. as well. So it's still early plays for them in terms of their life. But you know, one a company that again is looking to diversify has started with some investments and probably looking to manage that over time. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's talk about NASPAS. Um, I don't think a week goes by without us mentioning NASPAS here on the channel. The question there says NASPAS dropped by about 8% last week and recovered most of that today. All this, while Tencent has remained flat over the same period, the skeptic in me says the anomaly is related to their buyback program and how many shares they decided to buy back from one week to another. What do your guests say? So let's talk about NASPIS's buyback program and how that impacted the share price. Um, Nilash, we'll start with you. Sure, this is one way we can talk about for a long time. But I think, <laughs> yeah. look, um, look, Tencent has gone through just a tremendous period over the last week. I mean, it's been been completely in free fall, I think, over the past week, just on macro news, regulation news, you know, com- news coming out of China, um, you know, with Xi Jinping's comments, you know, news around the U.S. banning chips that can impact some of, you know, the tech and AI landscape, um, and, you know, probably more news around China potentially going to war with Taiwan. So, I mean, you know, the, the risk kind of view and macro view is, you know, seems very negative um, around China. I think on, on the other side, with Tencent, is Tencent is NASPAS being the biggest assets was also the news um, which caused some of the volatility yesterday was the rumors which now NASPAS today have denied around, you know, potentially selling all of its 10 cents stake to a Chinese um, investment firm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, look, uh, I think from my perspective, it's, it's, it's suffering from two things. You have to marry the macro news, mm-hmm. which is again, it's, you know, US, China, COVID as well, you know, war, chips versus the micro fundamentals where, you know, you look at Tencent and almost any metrics does look pretty attractive on a valuation basis. But, you know, which way is more at this point in time and how do you want to manage your risk around that? Yeah, and Devin, what do you think? You know, um, I was actually speaking to um, Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss earlier and he said, I think he said, you buy the rumor and you sell the fact or something along <laughs> those lines. <laughs> and what do you think about Naspers? Yeah, spoken like a true stockbroker. Yeah. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think Nilash is exactly right about the macro when, when you're investing in Chinese assets at the moment. I mean, we had um, the speculation today of the government coming out that they're putting a committee together to get rid of their zero COVID policy. Mm-hmm. Markets were up massively in the East as a, as a result. And then you've got, again, potentially further government intervention where this potential or this rumored buyer of Tencent is a, a state-owned company and, and believes that um, Tencent is key state infrastructure. So, you know, the, the underlying fundamentals of the company are great. And now you've got to then try to balance it against the macro and the, 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 the politics there. So that becomes incredibly difficult. We are cautiously optimistic of investing in China. I think you've got to apply a healthy um, discount to be able to do that. Uh, but, but we think long term, the politics ultimately will serve the interests of the company country because they serve the interests of the politicians. So I, I don't think they're going to be committing economic suicide, mm-hmm. but you're going to get these news releases that, that really drive the share price massively volatile. And, we, and we've seen it in the last week. So a question I have for both of you, something that I always wonder to myself when I think of NASPAS and Guys, is this company structure too complex? I've, I've, I'm very overwhelmed by NASPAS. I often find that it's got many moving parts in different parts of the world. Um, and, and therefore, it's very difficult to make an investment decision where it's related. I guess China then becomes a safe spot to kind of, you know, gauge <laughs> um, what to do with it as a stock. But is this, as an overall company, is it a bit of a complex business um, and one very difficult to navigate? Nilash, what do you think? No, I agree. I mean, the, the complexity in the group. Um, you know, is well, is, yeah, it is complex. Um, (laughs) And I think part of the discount that it trades at, you know, reflects that. Mm. Um, But I think also you have to understand the journey of of where they were coming from. Mm -hmm. This is a company, Naspers, that was just, you know, as they say, big in the index in South Africa, tried to manage that by listing in uh, in Amsterdam or Process, but still got caught, you know, somewhere in the middle with with two listings Mm -hmm. and both these companies owning shares in each other. Um, and now trying to, to manage that as they move to a next leg. And on top of that, you know, now you're trying to do buybacks and sell your biggest asset to buy back your own shares. You know, it's just tremendously difficult to navigate. Uh, there is a lot of complexity. Management know that. And part of it, part of the discount is attributed to that. So I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I actually didn't realize that a lot of it trading at a discount was really pricing in the fact that um, in, in investors, is, that, is, it, is it nerves? Is it just um, skepticism? Devin, what is it that then leads to it being um, undervalued the way that it is? Look, I mean, I think globally there's a trend for these holding companies to, to trade at discounts and they've been pretty wide at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the group did a, a fair job of trying to narrow that discount with, with the ongoing um, buybacks and that type of thing and, and the, the selling of, of the 10 cent stake over time. But I, I think also, you know, many investors have just lost faith in the management's ability to create value. You know, they've got this fantastic asset that's just spitting out cash, even with all the volatility and the political risk there. Um, but, you, you know, they haven't really realized value elsewhere. And it's really kind of incumbent on a well-paid management team to to demonstrate that. And I, th- I think the market's just not giving them the benefit of that yet. And yeah, and, until there's there's a way probably that they can extricate that 10 cent holding out of the group. I know they're doing it long term, but could they do it faster? Mm-hmm. Even with all the tax con- consequences, um, yeah, I, I think you're gonna. This will probably persist, and it is far too complex.
Yeah, I think based on what you said, I get the feeling that we'll still be speaking about Naspers every single week on the channel. Okay, so the next question is on the first rand group. Um, it's The person actually signed it, a guy that will be richer than Elon Musk. So that's where it's from. And he says, okay, I see that first rand group is going bullish based on my analysis. Okay, it's quite a lengthy one. So he says, I noted that the market has just formed a double top at 76.60 and therefore sold correctively, which in turn creates a bullish flag. Not only that, I, have, I also have a trend line coming up and the price has rejected on the fourth touch, which is at 58.78. However, that would truly confirm my bullish momentum um, is, oh, what would read, sorry, what would truly confirm my bullish momentum is the break of my bullish flag. Should the stock break, then I see it even surpassing the 77.60. I have I've also kept in mind that the market can reject at my flag and go bearish. But for the bear to be confirmed, I would have to see the, the market going below 58.78. But hey, I'm no expert. Can't wait to hear from you guys. So let's just talk about uh, first round uh, there, which is with regards to this commentary, Devin. I see you smiling there. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it's, that, that's technical analysis yes. the, the viewers looking at. And it's, it's difficult to to comment on it without the you know the his charts up in yeah. front. But I mean, what 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 I will say is you know he spoke about positive momentum in in first round and the entire local banking sector in October was just unbelievable. I mean, I think financials were up almost fourteen percent in the month. They were by far the leading sector, and they're really the beneficiaries of this raising or rising interest rates environment, aren't they? You know that endowment effect as they earn more deposits and you know slower to pay <laughs> to pay more interest back to the depositors um, has been fantastic for them i think also the at the moment the credit loss ratios are probably lower than expected so that that's also been a, a massive positive and then you know if you look at first round specifically it's it's just such a high quality franchise mm. huge return on equity um, and you know as a result there, there really is a lot to get investors excited about it and that's probably playing out in in the viewers charts all right so um i would have loved to hear your opinion about this nilash but we don't have much time left so i really want to speak to your stock pick and um, what is your stock pick for the day and why so my stock pick is sun international mm. so it's it's uh, my previous stock pick as well i'm sticking with it mm -hmm. again it's all about summer in sun city um yeah. you know people are stuck in stuck in South Africa, low shedding and all these things. People want to get out. Mm -hmm. People want to enjoy themselves. Summer is coming up. Local travel is in. More international visitors are coming into the country with flight reopenings. Um, and we're setting up ourselves for a great, great summer. Mm -hmm. And Sun International is it. Yeah, I was actually very surprised to hear the other day that also um, there's lots of gambling that happens here. And Sun International <laughs> is a huge beneficiary um, of that. And Devin, what's your stock pick for the day? And why have you gone in this direction? I'm going um, offshore to the US, mm -hmm. a company called Cummins. It's the, one of the largest industrial equipment manufacturers in the US, been around for over 100 years. Mm -hmm. uh, recent results have been really strong, um, you know, healthy return on invested capital, strong cash generation, good earnings growth forecasts. Um, it, it also does some really interesting things. It's got a competitive advantage. It doesn't just sell the equipment. It also develops the software that go, goes with it in these complex machines. But I think what we're most excited about is the growth that could come from how they've diversified away from just diesel engine manufacturing mm -hmm. to high growth emission solutions and power generation. Right. And, you know, the world is short for power at the moment. 
and, and they will position to supply into that. All right, definitely one we'll keep watching. Thank you so much to both of you for your time and a great chat this evening. Yes, that's thanks to my guests, Devin Shute from the Robey Group and Nilash Hansji from Old Mutual Investments. <laughs>